Welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show, where we explore spiritual ideas and books that help you live a better life. Hosted by spiritual teacher and author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate, Jason Napolitano. All right. Hello. Welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show. I'm your host, Jason Napolitano. And on the phone, as I do each week, I have Chris Sheridan on the line. How are you? Great, Jason. Great to be here. Great to have you here, my friend. Well, not here, but in, here, the, well, in, the, in the East. Everywhere. <laughs> You're there. Everywhere here, and there, nowhere. Everywhere. All at once. Exactly. In the spirit of that here, there, and everywhere, we're actually going to be talking about Edgar Casey today and his uh, book. It's not his book, but it's a book based on his uh, readings, uh, 650 readings, I believe they went through of his life readings, and they pulled out information um, dealing with individuals um, on uh, their incarnations in Atlantis. Edgar Cayce uh, believed that we had multiple incarnations, a reincarnation type belief, and that, uh, you know, oftentimes they were in uh, periods of history that are not part of uh, what we could consider today like an academic or a sort of historical understanding. In other words, it's not a, it's more of an alternative version, a metaphysical version, of, if you will, uh, of, of history. Uh, so, of course, there are different epochs and different eons of time. Uh, one of them is uh, this time where Atlantis is a powerful civilization. Of course, everyone's heard of Atlantis, but we're going to go a little bit into that today and, and talk about that. I I'm the author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate. Chris is the author of The Spirit in the Sky. Both of our books are available on Amazon or on our websites at uh, CosmicEye.org, which, uh, which is mine, and Chris's is ChrisSheridan.com. Um, I want to also encourage everybody out there who's listening who enjoys the show, uh, if you can, to become a supporter of Cosmic Eye. You can do so for as little as 99 cents a month. Um, there's a, there's a package for 99 cents a month, 499 a month and 999 per month. I mean, if you can afford it, please, uh, please do, uh, contribute to our cause. Um, we feel like we're doing great work here and we're excited to share it with you, but of course we have expenses as well, like everyone does. And if you could help us to support the show, that would be absolutely fantastic. So you can go to anchor.fm slash cosmic eye and you'll see, uh, become a supporter on there. You can click on that. So Enough of the plugging of our stuff. Let us get into On Atlantis by Edgar Evans Casey. It's a small book. Um, it's very small print. You were talking about that when we yes. talked about this yesterday. So you may want to you want to you may want to have a magnifying glass or some reading glasses if you're if you're getting up in years like the two of us are. Uh, if you have your young strong eyes, uh, you're going to be just fine. It's a fantastic little book, though. Um, one of the interesting things about it, like I said, is it's not really a linear story, per se. It's different predictions and different life readings that Edgar Cayce made at different times in history. Uh, a lot of this stuff comes from the 30s, from the 20s, from the 40s. Um, and there were different understandings of, of, of history, of archaeology, of anthropology at these different times when he was giving these readings. And the interesting thing about it, and one of the things that the book supports is that he pushes back human civilization quite a bit, quite a bit. And I'm, I'm sure you noticed that. Um, I found that interesting. Did, did you like that portion of, of those readings where he, he's pushing back these dates 
And, and actually, some of them are being supported by the findings uh, of science now, archaeological findings and so on. Yeah, it's very much in line with the current trend with maybe non-mainstream, uh, you know, historians and archaeologists that structures and civilizations and cultural items, uh, technologies you know, go way back further. And it kind of upsets the timeline, um, you know, the, the neat, well, we were, you know, Stone Age and then, you know, Bronze Age and copper and all this stuff. Uh, although there is ample evidence of that, uh, these predictions or setting the time uh, scale back kind of disrupts that. And it's maybe come a more mainstream or more popular now, but at the time that he did it, uh, that was kind of unheard of. Exactly. Exactly. So that makes it interesting. Well, it makes it interesting, though, and, you know, even today where I think there's a pretty... Obviously, there's a lot more of this kind of information out today. You know, best-selling books by, you know, Graham Hancock and some of those guys and Jim Mars. And I'm thinking of these these different Atlantis guys. A few that are escaping my mind. But there's a lot of very mm-hmm. popular authors that, uh, that, that are following up on these ideas in different ways. And that was not the case in the 20s, 30s, and 40s by any means. Edgar Cayce was was certainly one of the uh, one of the earlier people investigating a lot of these ideas. Although the Atlantis, the Atlantis uh, story from Plato has captured people's imaginations, I imagine since, you know, since it was first told um, back in back in Plato's day. So this is really this is really nothing new. These are new iterations kind of, of explorations of the Atlantis idea. One of the things that he comes across with that I think is very, very interesting and kind of applicable is that it's like you were saying, you all right? No problem. Knock that out. Um, you're not dying on me, are you? No, hang on. Okay. Cause uh, <coughs> I, I may have to do you a, can edit that out, right? I may, well, we could, or I could just leave it in. Cause I may have to do a life reading for you once you're done. Right. With, the, <laughs> with this, we'll see. How call life alert. Call life alert. Exactly. <laughs> and say, Hey, Chris Sheridan's choking to death. Can you please go save him? Um, yeah, I'd be like that Atlanta story. Cough, cough. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, Atlantis was kind of off the wall anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, at any kind of time frame um, to talk about. I was a latecomer to <clears throat> really seriously entertaining uh, that possibility, which is much more compelling now than it was maybe even 20 years ago for me. Yeah, I'm finding the same thing. I'm finding the same thing. It's like I... I was always kind of open to it. I actually have to thank my friend's mom, uh, Dixie Owen, who, uh, who shared this, this book with me when I was young. Um, and I really enjoyed it and it opened up my mind to this idea, but I really hadn't thought about it much. And that was in, uh, I think junior high or high school, early high school. And so I didn't really, cause the book is from actually what, 1967, 1968, something like this. Yeah. Yeah. Which was about 20 some years after, Casey passed, put together yeah. by his sons. Yeah, exactly, sons. exactly, and drawn from the 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 rich uh, library of of his readings. It, it still, people still to this day go to ARE, which is their uh, their their organization, Edgar Casey's organization, and ARE stands for the Association for Research and Enlightenment. You can find that at edgarcasey.org. E D G-A-R-C-A-Y-C-E dot org. There is a lot of fantastic information there. 
so people still go there to this day to to read his his readings uh, of the past, his life readings, and, and try to find out information about ancient mysteries and different civilizations, Atlantis, um, spiritual development, meditation, uh, etc. I mean, he was known as America's greatest psychic. The sleeping uh, clairvoyant. Psychic. The, that's the sleeping, the sleeping psychic. Exactly. He would go into sort of a, a trance phase where he would, what he called uh, contact uh, cosmic consciousness, I think he would say. And he would go and, and, and bring back these information, this information. People would record it. They could ask him questions while he was in this state. He wasn't really sleeping, per se. He was in more of a very deep state of, of meditation, is what it sounds like uh, to me. Yeah, it makes sense. So there, uh, there still is a lot of interest in his work. It's still quite valid. He's, you know, he's talked about everything from crop circles to Atlantis to ancient DNA research, Egyptian heritage, prophecies, etc., astrology. Uh, fantastic site uh, that uh, edgarcasey.org. And the well, actual, the, go ahead. if I may add, one Please. thing I found interesting in sort of the background uh, story with uh, with Casey uh, is that his initial claim to fame and how he really uh, did the bulk of his initial work uh, was in medical diagnoses mm, yeah. and these were actually tested at the time against you know the doctors and maybe eventually what they did find and he was correct quite a bit of the time so it's one thing to speculate about ancient history or the future or some of these kinds of things that maybe you can't readily prove uh, oh, but when that. but these were here and now patients yeah and these were doctors at the time that found that he was accurate uh, at least 90% of the time, I think 92 or 90 something like that. Yeah. But even 90, that's, it's astonishingly high. Um, Yeah. And it was proven if, you know, however much you can prove something like that. Uh, And that was his initial thing. So I think that really gave him a lot of uh, legitimacy, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, early on, because wow, it's the scientists are on board with this. It, It was maybe odd how it came about. Um, but it was undeniable that he was accurate. Exactly. No, it's so, fascinating. And I mean, he comes, it's an interesting background as well. I mean, he was born in 1877 uh, and, and died in 1945. And he was, he was from the, from the South. He, uh, the headquarters of, of ARE is actually Virginia Beach, Virginia. Um, and he was from uh, Kentucky. So, you know, he was very much immersed in that uh, kind of old school Baptist uh, Christian sort of faith uh, as a child and, and never really got away from that. He was uh, very much a believer in the Bible, would, would, would read the Bible, uh, I think, once, once a time for every year he was old or something. So if he was 12 years old, he'd try to read it 12 times. If he was 45, he'd try to read it 45 times that year or something. He had some sort of a plan like that. So he, he definitely held fast to his his uh, his biblical heritage, and yet at the same time, he was he's he's still known as one of the fathers of the New Age movement, bringing in these ideas of psychic forces, chakras, uh, radical diets. Not so they don't seem so radical anymore. Uh, he was one of the first people to to start talking about the idea of food combining and the idea that acidic and alkaline diets and it's, you know the properties in food that this was something at the time which was just unheard of. So really quite a, quite a pioneer mm-hmm. um, and still maintained, you know, maintained his, his sort of fundamentalist 
I don't want to say fundamentalist, but maintained his his uh, his Christian roots. A more what we would consider a maybe a more evangelical, probably fundamentalist sort of understanding. Obviously, he did not share in those kind of narrow views of the Bible. Oftentimes, that those that some of I think he believed have, the the Earth was and the universe were older than six thousand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm pretty I, sure about that. <laughs> pretty safe to say that. So I think he he obviously took um, you know a more liberal uh, view of the Bible, but he still held much reverence. Uh, you know, for it and for his, uh, his upbringing as a, as a Christian, which I find very interesting. Very much. Um, one of the interesting things about, well, let me just kind of get into this. There's a little overview in the book that I find very helpful. So this is sort of a, in a nutshell, the, the ideas that this book contains and some of the ideas of, about Atlantis and some of, uh, this is more or less an overview of Edgar Casey's sort of, belief and, and readings on Atlantis. So first of all, number one, man has existed in the earth or on the earth for at least 10 million years, at least 10 million years. So that uh, obviously is a much greater span of time uh, than we would give to, to man today. Although I think they push back uh, our date to something like a million, uh, a million years ago, something like that. I think they have uh, uh, evidence of some bones that look pretty humanoid. Um, I can't remember which find that was. So, so really, and he really, he, you know, that view is probably closer to, to what we're finding now in science, as opposed to what at that time was being thought in science. I think around that, at, at that time, they were thinking man was maybe at the latest a hundred thousand years old or something. Is that, is that your, your recollection of that? Something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that sounds about right. And the worldview of the universe um, up until the late 1920s, um, <clears throat> the known universe, astronomers fully believed, was just what we see in the Milky Way. We didn't really have this notion of distant galaxies, much less millions of galaxies that is commonplace to you know, knowledge today. Mm -hmm. So, uh, And then King Tut uh, discovery in the early 20s, uh, that really expanded what we knew about Egyptian civilization because everything was so intact. So some things were being shifted around that time, you know, expanding and getting closer to history, uh, history maybe getting pushed back, but he really wasn't bound by any of that. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I just heard our buddy in the background. It's, it's odd because it's four fifteen. Usually, uh, he's out at three o'clock. So it's a slow Saturday. It's a slow Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> the barking interruption, the helicopter yeah. should be, uh, the helicopter should be coming in and then someone should be raiding your neighbors next door soon. The FBI will be screaming over bullhorns soon. <laughs> so it should be a good time. I live time. in a nice neighborhood. Well, it's... I, I kid, I kid. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Cause you, it's it, still LA. What he you lives, saying? he lives, he lives in Compton anyway. Um, <laughs> so, so the second idea is that Atlantis was one of the places where man as such developed man as such. So essentially what he's getting into is a, is a much different idea than, than the idea that modern science has of how we sort of evolved from different, uh, different creatures and kind of, there's this upward sort of movement up through, you know, amoeba up to sort of a primeval, you know, sort of ape like man into what we are today. Um, there's a quite, quite a different, different different outlook in the sort of occult view or esoteric view of of our development uh which gets into the next portion of this that man's origin was as a spirit 
not a physical body. Mm -hmm. These souls projected themselves into matter, probably for their own diversion. In other words, for, you know, to experience what it was like to be in a material body, to enjoy that. And, you know, in some cases, you know, in corrupt ways. Um, And through the use of his creative powers for selfish purposes, man became entangled in matter or materiality to such an extent that he nearly forgot his divine origin and nature, which kind of brings us back to some of our Gnostic ideas that we've been discussing over the, the last shows uh, where man is, uh, is um, has a spark of divinity within himself. He just needs to get back to that and, and, and kind of release that and, and, and find that spiritual self within again. We've sort of forgotten by being tangled up in this material world. That's, it's kind of a similar idea. So, uh, another mm-hmm. idea that he has is a very long time ago. Uh, this, you know, this, this, his scope of history goes again way back to at least ten million years ago. Very long time ago, man attained great technological progress, equal to, if not surpassing, that existing today. Which is an interesting idea because, again, we think we are the pinnacle of development. We think our technology is the pinnacle of what you know what has been achieved on the earth and in the universe. In some cases, we even think that. And we've made of ourselves an idol in a way and our own technologies we've turned into an idol. Uh, So that's kind of an interesting uh, point. And this mind you is being said in the, in the thirties, well before, you know, television is, is popular well before wireless communications via cell phones and well before, I mean, all these things were being developed, but they certainly weren't well known. And, you know, now we live in the pinnacle of, of where we find ourselves today uh, with the technologies we have. And, and, and in essence, I mean, he was saying the same thing, you know, you and I often talk about what are we doing with these technologies? You know, we have to ask ourselves that, yes, we have advancements in certain areas of, of technological development. But philosophically speaking, metaphysically speaking, esoterically speaking, where's our soul in all this? Do you know what I mean? And, right. and then, uh, you know, we've got to look at what are these technologies good for if we lose our soul in, um, in the process. I mean, they're neat. It's fun to play video games online and, you know, read, uh, and read gossip and watch a guy get kicked in the nuts at the AMPM. But, but I mean, is that, is that the pinnacle and the, you know, the highest use of this technology? Let's ask ourselves that. Um, or is there much more we could be doing with uh, with it? I mean, granted, there are plenty of people doing amazing things online. You know, the networked possibility of computers is being used to explore the universe and, and all these different things. I grant that. But the bulk of the use of what we're doing online is most of the time, you know, I, w- I wouldn't say it's of a spiritual nature. Would you? Uh, not so much. Not only have we kind of forgotten uh, our souls in this, you know, pursuit of technology. And in some ways we've deferred it and mm. we've turned it over to technology. I see all the time articles that, well, how AI can save us from that and well, how AI can artificial intelligence, you know, computer learning, sure. computer thinking, uh, of course, and the computer is just a human creation. So how good is it going to be anyway? <laughs> well, exactly. And we, we, you know, that's the thing is we're projecting our own capabilities onto something that we've created. And then hoping that that thing is going to save us. I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier. It's very similar, I think, to the idea that, that for example, aliens are going to come down and, 
grace us with more technological advancements than they already have with, you know, in the past, if we believe that. Um, and that will save us now. But we never make the we never ask the question, is the technology and maybe the use of the technology the problem? Maybe the things we've created are beyond our capabilities, philosophically and metas- metaphysically uh, speaking, you know, to use them constructively. Maybe we need to think about developing our spiritual and, you know, and philosophical capacities to a greater degree, and then we can use the technology we have better. You know, maybe what we're about at- our soul technology. Exactly. So maybe we're soul asking tech. soul tech. I love it. So maybe we're <laughs> asking some some questions that aren't, you know, that aren't the best questions uh, to be asking. And I think Casey was was talking about that. So let me quickly get into the fifth uh, fifth idea that's sort of presented in this book. So just as the misuse of their spiritual powers brought turmoil, strife, and questioning among themselves, this is among the Atlanteans, men's misuse of scientific and material achievements brought physical destruction in the earth. So in essence, you know, in that, it's a sort of a cautionary tale. We know from the story, uh, from Plato's story, that the Atlanteans spread out all over, and they were one of the most highly advanced civilizations, and, the Greek, and he spoke of them as battling with the Greeks and so on, and that they eventually tried to take over the world, and for that, that the gods punished them. Um, Poseidon, Poseidon had given them that realm, that sort of ocean realm uh, to flourish in. And, you know, they, they basically misused some of the, uh, you know, some of the gifts that they were given by the gods and, and in, in turn were punished by the gods and destroyed for, for their hubris, which is a big theme amongst Greek uh, mythology to begin with. Uh, but it's one we need to learn, a lesson we need to still learn today. You know, it's like the story of Icarus. You know, we've talked about that many times, and you talk about that in your book as well. Um, flying too close to the sun, flying too caught close up to in the, the ecstasy of the of the experience, yeah. and not thinking about the consequences of things. So we're so excited and enamored with our own technological advance, and we forget, okay, well, what is this? What is this being used for? How is this damaging the earth? How is it helping the earth? What is it doing socially? What is it doing psychologically to us? Asking those questions before we unleash these, these, new, these new technologies on the world would probably be of great benefit to us. Um, one of the interesting things about, about both Casey's readings and Manly Hall's, by the way, check out, uh, uh, man, there's a lecture on YouTube. There's many of them. If you just put in Manly Hall, uh, Atlantis gods of antiquity. That's the, that's the title of it, isn't it? Yes. Um, you will see many, many lectures with Manly Hall. It's about an hour and 16 minutes. I think that's the one that, that you'll, that you'll listen to uh, if you want to hear Manly Hall's actual lecture. And he, he talks a lot about Atlantis not being as a single place. He was saying that uh, Poseidon or Poseidia, I think is how he pronounces it. Um, was, it was the last Island in a chain in a chain. So there were actually seven main, main islands or main sort of dispersions of this Atlantean culture. And in, in, in essence, it was like a, you know, a vast kingdom and they controlled a pretty wide expanse of the Mediterranean world. Um, you know, from, uh, I think from Europe to, uh, into, uh, North Africa and, and maybe possibly even further. But what happens is that there is this, um, cataclysmic event that takes place and Casey really goes into depth in this and Manly Hall doesn't speak so much about it but basically this cataclysm comes about through misuse of their technology so they had something like 
maybe what we would consider atomic energy or perhaps some kind of solar energy that was or geothermal energy, something that involved crystals and the use of geothermal energy, possibly volcanic uh, activity, something something to this effect. I mean, he's he's pretty uh, it's not it's not so specific um, in the book, but there's, you know, hints at it that maybe it's something like a, an atomic energy or some, some sort of power. But apparently it was a very great power. They misused it and used it for destructive purposes. Um, so what happens is they created a cataclysm, basically. Volcanic activity, earthquakes, flooding, etc. Um, and then they... As this, but this happened over a period of time. That last island, the uh, Posidia or Poseidia, um, were was the the last sort of bastion of their of their of their culture but over hundreds possibly thousands of years there was a dispersion of different atlantean peoples to different places one of those places uh speculated to be egypt one of those places is the mayan people and they landed in mexico and guatemala and nicaragua and, and along along those uh those areas in south uh in south america and central america um and, and other places as well. I think he spoke about the Pyrenees where they went to, uh, to Spain. And then there's a speculation that maybe the Basque people are connected to that since their language is not connected to any Indo-European languages. So a lot of really interesting connections uh, there. I liked, uh, I liked a lot how Manly Hall uh, talked about um, the dispersion and he brought up some of the mythologies in those different places. Do you remember that section when he was talking about um, Awanis? Uh, oh, the fish god. Yeah, which and then, arrived from from the sea. Yeah, can you can you talk a little bit about those and about uh, Quetzalcoatl? Uh, do you remember those 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 stories and a little bit of those connections? Um, I do in general, not specifically with um, with this. I was focusing a little more on the that technology and okay. uh, history um, aspect of the Atlantean. Uh, but that this, you know, diaspora, this, uh, you know, uh, emanating out from um, what was left of Atlantis or the archipelago. Yeah. Um, it explains technology like that there's pyramids. Uh, you were saying there's language mm -hmm. things that don't fit in the normal ones that they maybe have a different origin. Um, but they have something in common with different places well, speaking of that, around really, the world. Speaking of that really quickly, the, uh, in uh, the Aztec culture and in the Mayan culture, there's a, apparently there's a word they believe they're derived from a, a civilization in the East. They actually have this in, the, um, in mythology, uh, a place called Aztlan or Atlan. And that's, that's pretty wild. So, you know that that was an interesting uh, an interesting connection. Also, what you're just saying is a lot of the, the there is a lot of language cognates uh, in the names of places. Uh, for example, and these are in Asia Minor, sort of um, Near East uh, cities, Chol, and then in Central America you have Cholula. Uh, in uh, Asia Asia Minor areas of Turkey and ancient Near East areas, Kolua, uh, Kolua Khan in Central America. Uh, in the in the east again, Zuivana, in Central America, Zuivan, and so on and so forth. I mean, so there's there's interesting language parallels also that would suggest maybe a migration or a dispersion of some sort. Whether it was Atlant Atlanteans or not is you know remains to be seen. But 
but it, you know, there's some some interesting arguments are, are definitely made. Uh, continue. I'm sorry to interrupt. You. Oh yeah, well, and definitely the feathered serpent of Quetzalcoatl. Uh, of course, we have you know the dragon in in the east, and well, and that it comes up a lot. That uh, story is cultures. a story of a of a bringer of culture and a bringer of of writing and technology to to those that specific. Uh, that specific land to the, uh, to the Mayans, but the Incans also have, a cult, I think the uh, Aztecs, the Mayans, Incans, I believe have a, a similar uh, mythology of, of a, of a bringer of knowledge. Well, we have uh, Hermes. Uh, sure. You know, who brought knowledge, um, you know, certainly, um, you know, other. Mercury, um, Mercurius he, to the Romans and Toth uh, uh, to the Egyptians. Right. And we spoke about him earlier. We did. Um, and, uh, you know, and others that have brought, um, well, it was Prometheus brought fire. Mm -hmm. He got punished for it. But um, that plays into the alien thing, too, that, well, it came from the sky. But if the Atlanteans were an island uh, nation, island you know, empire, I guess, um, they would have to come from the sea if they were going to go to some other land. Sure. Or if they still had some of their potential aircraft technology, maybe they did come. Uh, you know, on a from the sky, sure, or some yeah. some kind of a thing. So even these sky gods and you know sea uh, uh, deities um, could have a more human or you know ancestral human uh, origin. It doesn't have to necessarily be extraterrestrial. Uh, it could have been behind this, you know, what Manly Hall calls the dark curtain of history. You know, behind which we really don't know. There isn't enough evidence. Uh, to piece something together, but there's enough to know that there's something behind there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, and that's the challenge with the whole uh, idea of Atlantis. I mean, the, the, uh, most of this whole, you know, uh, thrust of this information is based on, you know, the one uh, uh, place where it's found is in uh, uh, Plato's Critias uh, and Timaeus, uh, two, two, two works that uh, where this, where the story is found. And then it's, you know, extrapolated out from, from there. Um, but it's, you know, it's an interesting and compelling story. The thing that's, I think, challenging for people today is that we think of history in a different way than the ancient mind did. Uh, history to us is, is evidence is, is, you know, a sort of a historical record or a transcript of the event, or it's some sort of archeological or physical evidence. That's what we consider history. Uh, ancient civilizations had a much broader view of history. So their history would include, you know, legend and mythology, and it would include um, a certain reverence and usually some spiritual content in it as well. It wasn't just interested in the fact of the matter, you know, not uh, like was that Dragnet? Just just the facts, ma'am. Yes, exactly. They were not interested in just the facts, ma'am. They were interested in the meaning, and that's one of the things we've lost in our understanding of mythology. We we even today will say, well, it's just, um, you okay mm -hmm. again? Um, yeah, we'll still say today disparagingly, oh, that's just a myth. That's just a myth, meaning that something is untrue. Whereas the historical, uh, you know, the ancients, uh, the ancients historically had an idea of a myth or a story as being something truer than, than, than fact, truer than fact, something spiritually true, something uh, esoterically true. Uh, well, facts and temporal things come and go. Sure. But a myth, if it's archetypal and, 
really essential at its core uh, should and will take uh, place and repeat itself and be relevant in any time or place. Yeah, exactly. So it's beyond that. Exactly. Paradigm. It's beyond the temporal, uh, the time-based uh, knowledge uh, that we, we get stuck in so often. But, the, you know, the question is really, uh, you know, is, is not so much, I think, in some ways. I, it's an interesting question. I like it would be neat to, to know, you know, whether or not this information is, is, is quote unquote factual. But I think more importantly, we have to ask ourselves, why is the story still compelling to us? I mean, it's at least, you know, 25, what, 24, 2500 years old. Uh, in Plato's time, you know, we're, we're still interested in a story that's being that's been told for at least 2,500 years. Obviously, you know, it, there's something in it uh, that 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 gets us. And you know, I think one of the things is is that it it opens up an idea of a, an alternative history. You know, a more cyclical nature of history, not this kind of linear, um, straight line version of history that we have today, you know, this sort of slow, painful evolution, and then some, some cataclysms, and then just gradual upward development. It's, it's a more cyclical nature of history when we think that, you know, hey, there was possibly civilizations here which have left no trace because they are so ancient, we have no idea how far in the past they go. You know, and it, it's, I think that Atlantis, for example, is a, is a is probably one of those type of things if it existed. It, it, it's so ancient that it's likely that we will never find any physical evidence of it. And it's quite possible that there was such a cataclysmic event that everything was buried or even, you know, melted. If they had something like, for example, a proto-atomic weapon or some sort of you know, destructive capabilities, they could have decimated or atomized their entire cultures and all the peoples around them. And then the only people that were left were the more quote unquote primitive people who were living in caves because they were away from the, the, the devastation. Do you know what I mean? So it, right. it places a, a very different outlook on it. And it's like, well, then of course, and it's quite possible that, that the, the earth's changed its, its form, that land has shifted if a volcano came and covered everything and then seas covered that, how would we find it? You know, if there were a civilization under there, look at if, 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 for example, Manhattan were, you know, were under the sea and buried under lava, how would you know it was there? Right. But, well, Pompeii, that was a fairly recent discovery, late 1800s. There's a great example. A great um, example. And, you know, 79 AD, I think, is when Vesuvius took it out and Herculaneum. Um, but it was immaculately preserved. Exactly. And I've seen it. They had hot and cold water tubs, and they had things you really didn't think that they would have had back then. Because, you know, even just within recorded history, we've seen, well, to say that they were more advanced, they were definitely more advanced than people in the Middle Ages a thousand years later were. Absolutely. In the Dark Ages, and all the way they threw it up into the Renaissance, you know, they were definitely <laughs> more advanced. So we can see this even in, you know, very much, you know, visual and empirical evidence um, that this kind of thing has happened, that it, it already does disrupt this, you know, kind of gradual thing. And another thing that I think can be unsettling about this Atlantis, uh, the Atlantean hypothesis, I guess, is, you know, with the traditional, okay, we evolved from monkeys and, and we got 
uh, hominids, and, you know, Cro-Magnon, Neanderthal, and uh, on the way up to the Homo sapiens, um, we, and we see ourselves at the pinnacle. We are it. We have evolved from a lower form <clears throat> and we're on top. Well, if you consider that whether it's alien or Atlantean or other origin, and maybe if we have an ancestry that's higher up than we are, uh, actually, I think that's kind of cool uh, because it gives I, I us agree. hope that we yeah. can, can keep on going. If we're just, you know, monkey matter, then eh, maybe we're not that far out of the trees and we're destined to pick our butts in the zoo in front of people. You know, I don't know. Well, yeah. Um, what kind of spiritual legacy are we leaving for the next generations with that kind of mythology? And, and, and that evolutionary view of life is, you have to remember, a, sci a sort of a scientific mythology. It, yeah. it, there is evidence that things evolve. I'm not saying that evolution is not a real thing. What I'm saying is the, the viewpoint, the scientific and scientism oriented viewpoint is that that's all there is. There's this sort of straight line and we are that pinnacle of technological and, and, and evolutionary success uh, that this evolutionary force, this invisible force is seeking out, which is interesting to me because you believe in something that you can't, can't pin a, a label on evolution, we'll call it. And it is intelligent, it is developing. It is happening behind the scenes and it's, cause, it's a cause. And you can't see it, you can't, you, know, you can't pinpoint it under a microscope and yet you believe in it, yet you will say, there's no, there's no possibility that there's any higher intelligence in the universe. There's no possibility for God or the gods or anything like that. But you'll believe in a, a quote unquote blind intelligent force such as evolution and again i'm not saying that i i don't believe in in in, sure. in that that in certain area aspects of evolution but you know just to say that that is the only thing at work in the universe i think is is a is a uh we're cheating ourselves out of a legacy and i think you're you're right give, you know if we look back at some of these societies you know the greek the atlantean um, you know, cl classical ancient Chinese culture, the Dravidian culture in, in India, ancient cultures in, in Babylon and Chaldea and so on, Egypt. We see that, you know, there were levels even in, you know, in sort of known history where there were these golden ages um, that, you know, where things were achieved, that remarkable things were achieved. Yet maybe, yes, the technology, quote unquote, was less developed. But what about the philosophical and metaphysical and spiritual uh, capabilities within man? Mm -hmm. You know, were they perhaps much more developed than we are today? Because we focus so much on the material, we've lost part of our heritage. Is that what some of these myths are pointing at? That there was a golden age of a more spiritual and mental sort of life? where we are perhaps like, for example, one of the things that is hypothesized about the Atlanteans is that they had more psychic abilities than we have. It's possible that the reason why, for example, we can't find any evidence of, of the Cyclopean buildings and so on, or any evidence of, for example, we don't know exactly how the pyramids were built and can't really uh, even manage to, to do that today. Um, there may be no evidence for it because they may be using a completely different form of, of building. They may be using some kind of levitation. They may be using their minds in a way that we're unaware of and have forgotten. I don't know. I'm not saying that's the case, but anything is possible. You know, the world is mysterious. 
And it's quite possible that, you know, with all of our emphasis on thinking and materialism and technological development, that we've lost the capability uh, to do some of these these things that we might have been able to do. Telekinesis might have been possible. Uh, Psychic, you know, different psychic powers, different, you know, different realms of of understanding and being that we have no connection to anymore because we've lost it. I think that's what a lot of the, 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 you know, the new uh, mind expansion and drug cultures are going after. They're trying to, to tap into some of those areas um, in, in a, in a, in a chemical way, but they're, you know, Mm -hmm. they're trying to, to, to access, access those different parts of ourselves. uh, Maybe that we've um, let lie dormant for so long that they've kind of gone underground which leads oh, from into, lack of use from lack of use, which leads then into that understanding that Manly Hall is talking about how Atlantis might be representative of something that's went underwater or underground or unconscious in us that was higher, you know, in a purely sort of metaphorical or, uh, you know, analogy type way that, that Atlantis stands for some, some sort of powers that we used to have that went dormant and went under the water and were destroyed and covered over they're not gone maybe they had to be maybe they did maybe because they did. if it was, was misused that poorly um whether it's you know physical technology with power and destruction and bombs and uh, even thought rays i guess sure um but if also you could read people's minds you could do things like that um it's it, we just are prone to misusing that anyway. It doesn't really matter with the technology, whether it's you know, software inside using our you know, psychic abilities or whether it's the, the hardware of our uh, weapons and things. You know, there's always a possibility of misuse. Maybe it's a good thing we don't have a lot of those psychic powers. If you could turn thought into action, every, you know, every bad comment on Twitter would, would, you know, <laughs> would result in destruction. No, you know, it's, it's true. So it's per- perhaps, I mean, there's, you know, there's a safety mechanism uh, involved until, until we, we reach a higher, you know, philosophical or, you know, I- ideal within ourselves. Which is why the mysteries required such a, the mystery schools, um, to be sure, uh, required such a vetting of the candidates that they had to go through trials and initiations to prove that they were they weren't going to just misuse this stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Which was just as we could easily misuse, you know, get your hands on a gun or you know, cell phone or something today, and, and misuse that. Uh, I think in the you know in antiquity, uh, the symbolic language maybe we were a lot closer, not in you know physical material technology, but our psychic. Uh, abilities and technologies uh, were much more developed. And so the possibility of misusing those was even greater because we have them more developed. I would go further to say nowadays we've grown so far away from that that you could print and email everybody in the world all the ancient mystery secrets and it really wouldn't help much because we really don't know how to go about it and we don't know what it means. We've gotten so far out of touch with that it would just be a bunch of information absolutely absolutely and i think this you know this idea of atlantis this idea of uh, much older history the idea of the you know the spiritual coming into the material that's another thing we didn't get into that in this discussion but there's a there's um whole sections and readings about uh different life forms that existed possibly at this time 
at least Edgar Casey thought so. And, and there's a whole class of people that are slaves, what the Atlanteans called things. And they were these sort of hybrids and they were, they were very like, apparently dull, you know, and had very little connection to their spiritual side and the Atlanteans particularly then uh, we didn't get into this either, but I highly recommend this book, Edgar Casey on Atlantis. But there's uh, there's two factions of Atlanteans. There's a, the sons of uh, Bel- Belial or Belial, and then these sons or children of the Law of One. The Law of One are the are the sort of good guys in essence, and the uh, Belial folks are are quote unquote the bad guys, and they're misusing technology and enslaving people and 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 using using certain less developed individuals as essentially as slaves and and they're they're the productive entities that that produce everything for this higher class of individuals so there's some of of that going on as well and then apparently it seems there's a battle between these um, sons of the law of one and the sons of belial and that's what what uh, ends up in the the cataclysmic events that occur there's two major cataclysms i believe two or three of them um, but you know, there's different ideas of these stories and so on. And, and, and uh, it, it's, it's a fascinating read. I highly recommend it. Let me read. Just it one. Is. Let me, can I just throw one thing please, for you? Please, yeah, Close absolutely. Up. What I found interesting and different, um, unique about Edgar Casey's readings on Atlantis and the civilization is that whether well, Sue Donnelly's book, um, the antediluvian world, or anything, the modern ones, you're talking about Graham Hancock and Gary Laxman and uh, ancient uh, archaeologists mm-hmm. uh, with alternative um, ideas that we have now. A lot of that's uh, either geologic or oceanographic if we're looking under the waves, yep. um, or it's archaeological that we're looking for artifacts. Um, and then we also have uh, the mythological uh, that that has maybe transformed or trans. Uh, transcended into other cultures that there's, you know, leading back to this common thing. But and he talks about those things as well, but he also connects on the human level or the individual person level of yeah. maybe someone who had a past life there. So it's, you know, it's, it, it kind of adds that other element. And of course it's, you know, it's speculative or it's under hypnosis where he gets this reading, but, uh, but it connects with a person at the time or somebody who maybe was linked to somebody at the time. And that's, that's a little different than it's very unique discourse. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's very unique, uh, which is why this book is, is a valuable contribution uh, uh, to this field and why Edgar Casey's work is still uh, quite popular today. Um, let me read a little section I like at the end of this book, which is kind of summed up. Um, and uh, hold on a second here. Yeah. So this is kind of uh, a question he's asking. He says, what is your God? Are your ambitious, are your ambitions only set in what you shall eat tomorrow or wherewith you shall be clothed? You have little faith, little hope that allows such to become paramount issues in your own consciousness. Know you not that you are his for you are of his making. He has not willed that you should perish, but has left it with you as to whether you will ever become aware of your relationship with him or not. Though there may be worlds, many universes, even solar systems greater than our own, the earth is a mere speck when considered even with our own solar system. Yet the soul of man, your soul, 
encompasses all in this solar system or in others. For we are joint heirs with the universal force we call God, if we seek to do his bidding. So that was one of the readings that he did for an individual. Um, and and, and it really, he's pointing at something higher. You know, it's not just about Atlantis. It's not just about uh, whether or not this or that historical uh, dispersion of people happened or, or what have you. It's really, what is our relationship with the higher force, with our higher self? You know, how are we living our lives? Um, are, we, are we caught up only in the material uh, world or are we creating something that's um, more spiritual and philosophical and, and moving towards the good and the beautiful uh, and so forth? So that's a great question. And I think that's something we always have to ask ourselves as we're studying this material is, is, is not just whether or not is it, did it happen? Not, you know, is it an interesting um, take on, on some other, you know, esoteric or occult uh, reading of things, but what is the value uh, to me and how am I living my life uh, today? You know, what am I focusing on? So, you know, with that, I leave you uh, to think about that for yourself. Uh, thank you for tuning in to the show again, please support us. If you get a chance, um, anchor.fm slash cosmic eye. And, uh, you can support us there, uh, shoot us an email or leave us a question. If you'd like to hear, um, us talk about, uh, anything under the sun, esoteric or otherwise, uh, we would love to hear from you. So, so thanks again for joining us. Hope you have a great week and thanks Chris for being here. You did a great job. I appreciate you. Oh, thank you. Uh, we will be here next week. Goodbye and God bless.